I'm in the Anfield Rap Studio and I am joined by Mary Lyon from the Association for Children Damaged by Hormone Pregnancy Tests. The Association for Children Damaged by Hormone Pregnancy Tests is one of the groups who've put their weight behind what's termed the Hillsborough Law Campaign around getting equality of arms, a public advocate and the idea of a duty of candour for everyone in public life. It's been an ongoing process, the Association for Children Damaged by Hormone Pregnancy Tests campaign. It's been going for many years, and Mary's going to tell us the full story of what happened, the why of what happened, <clears throat> what's happened with the group, the fight for justice as it's war on, and where it finds itself now in the context of Hillsborough Law. Uh, Mary, a lot of this obviously is, it goes back a long, long, long way, um, and it's worth sort of framing that in the first place. This is something that belongs, starts, sorry, all the way back in the 1950s and 60s. It certainly does. It, it started actually immediately after the thalidomide uh, scandal. And what I was surprised about was that one of the three drugs that was mentioned in the trial for the uh, thalidomide uh, people was uh, a drug called Duganon. Now, Duganon is the German word for primados. Um, and that was quite a shock to find out that that had actually been referenced as causing harm before we actually had it in the UK. It came to the UK about 1957. And in 1958, Dr Edwards wrote to the Committee on Safety of Medicines, who were the regulators at that time, um, to say, I have a great concern about this drug, Primados. Now, Primados was uh, two tablets uh, that had 40 times the strength for neural contraceptive. And what was it meant to do, Primados? It was meant as a hormone pregnancy test, a neural hormone pregnancy test. And he had actually raised concerns because he said, my feeling is that huge amount of synthetic hormones in early pregnancy, um, you know, it, it could affect the fetus. That warning was just suppressed. So the regulator decided not to take any notice of it. In between then... In 1966, I would say, there were huge amounts of concerns about these two tablets because, number one, they were unnecessary. Number two, they had been very inadequately tested. They'd had one test for a year and a half and the other test for just one year. Uh, and not on, on humans, it was on animals. So those tested, untested tablets had come into the UK, been accepted by the regulator as... <laughs> an oral pregnancy test. Now, the, the problem was with the ordinary uh, pregnant woman, you know, a young woman as I was, um, when you go to your GP, the only thing that you say is, I'm hoping I'm pregnant, uh, anticipating either a urine test or um, an examination, yeah. you know. So when I went in and he just said to me, oh, gosh, yeah, just take these two tablets, one today and one tomorrow, and if you don't bleed within 48 hours, you're pregnant. Um, I thought that was fantastic. I just assumed that that was the way that you actually found out you were pregnant because it was my first child. And I didn't question, which, of course, <laughs> you regret forever. Um, went home, took them. I was absolutely fine. Um, and it was only when my daughter was born with her arm missing from just below the elbow um, that I actually had someone come and say, you know, is everything okay? Um, how are you feeling? The, the first part of this yeah. that I just sort of want to sort of pull back to is, and I know it was a different time, uh -huh. but just the very idea of take two of these and see if you bleed mm. is it shows a level of 
of almost brutality like the the, the, the not pregnant outcome is, is the notion of bleeding and presumably bleeding quite heavily oh yes if we're honest you know uh-huh. that, that is you know a lot of this the way in which you've, you, when I was um, looking into this before starting this you know you've got this notion uh, on the on the screen that of every woman has the right to informed consent yes. on, on to, uh, where the association for children damaged by hormone pregnancy tests is concerned uh-huh. and it this feels exactly <clears throat> like the sort of thing which shows that women then and arguably women now in a number of different ways are treated medically with sort of a level of brutality that this is this is still an issue that 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 perpetuates through modern medicine now in a number of different ways it does because unfortunately the medical profession quite often feel that they know best now the person whose body it is that those tablets are going in should know best and also if we'd have had um the the risks and benefits good heavens above we could have made an informed consent But we didn't. We weren't often an alternative. It was literally, this is the way that it happens. And even when uh, I got the first health visitor visit, nobody actually said, um, you know, what, did you do anything? Did you eat anything? It was just, these things happen. And I did actually go and see my GP. Uh, It was a different GP. After your daughter was born. Uh, Yes, but it was a different GP then. He, He actually wasn't there. I wouldn't see me. I'm not too sure which. And all he said was, look, statistically, this kind of thing happens now and again. We have no idea. Just basically get on with your life, which I did. Um, The only thing I did do when Sarah was four, I because we had to shut off an artificial arm, which was absolutely awful. It was so heavy. It was like, you know, the the old fashioned dolls. Well, you know, the weight of, of, of those, they were horrific. And this had to be on like a sling that went round her arms, round her back. It was very heavy, very unwieldy. Um, and I'd, we'd gone for a fitting and I just said to the, the specialist there, look, I really would like more children. Um, you know, what do you think? Could, could this happen again? And, and he just said, we have no idea. He said, but I would say that if, if, if anything will happen, possibly it will be the same kind of effect. So I just thought, well, you know what, I can cope with this. So we went ahead and, and had another child. And luckily, I had changed doctor. So I, when I went for that test, it was a urine test. I still didn't actually get the two of course, linked together. Yeah. I just didn't. And it was only when Sarah was eight and I received a phone call um, from a lady who said, look, we have some records from various health authorities and, um, you know, I'm just ringing to say, have you had a child that's had a disability? And I said, well, she has been born without her arm below the elbow, if you class that as a disability. And she said, did you take any tablets? Of course, my answer was no, of course I didn't. And it was only when she said, what happened when you went to your GP? <laughs> I said, ah, I took two tablets. But they were given to me by my GP, and that's when she said, did you know that the 40 times the strength of an oral contraceptive? I was flabbergasted. But you're angry at the time, and then you're upset because you're thinking, why on earth didn't I say something? Why didn't I ask? But first child, I hadn't a clue. So that's when I then became aware of the association uh, who are fighting to get recognition for all the children who've been damaged. What year uh, was this approximately? This, we started that in 1978. Okay. Um, now, at that time, the conditions, if you like, of, of what this, this caused 
we didn't really know that much because we didn't have the same kind of social media. So it was physically going to meetings, um, you know, ringing round for information. Uh, We walked round to all the pubs and clubs with little tin cans trying to raise money. Um, And it was only when you actually got to meet other people you realised the absolute horror of what had happened to other people. And to be honest, that put that in perspective for me, simply because I was talking to someone, uh, her child on her the death certificate said, incompatible with life. How awful is that on a death certificate? One of the other ladies, her child had been born. They'd taken the child away to say that she'd died. And a husband came in, he'd been working, and when he came in, um, he said, well, what's happened? Well, well, where is the baby? And they said, oh, they took her away. He went outside to call someone and there was a trolley. And on the trolley was a, a cloth. And he lifted the cloth up and that was her baby. Still alive. So they put the baby there to die because her head hadn't formed. And she lived for 48 hours. And that's the kind of callousness that actually existed at that time. And my feeling is that they must have known that these things had been caused by a medical in, in, intervention. Well, in 1967, mm-hmm. there was a, a doctor called Isabel Gal. Isabel Gal, who published an article mm-hmm. saying that there was a link between Primadol, uh, Primadol, sorry, and uh, these these birth defects. She yes. put that together. And it was 1967. Yes. It was only taken off the market in the United Kingdom in 1978. It was. So there's this extended period of time where this article exists Indeed. and it's still being it's still being prescribed. It's still being given out, and that and that uh-huh. that also includes the window wherein it was prescribed to you. Yes, exactly. Because I took it in 1970, and I think the the problem was that number one, they knew about it. They knew about it before Isabel Gall, but when Isabel Gall had her... uh, I mean, the reason that came about was because she'd had this number of babies born with the same kind of, of, you know, disabilities. And she had said to the mother, she'd called them in and just said, look, you know, did you do anything different? Did you eat anything differently? And it was only because one of the ladies had brought her husband with her because she'd said no to all the questions, as I would have done. And her husband said, what about the tablets that your doctor gave you? And Dr Gal said, no, 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 there is no way a GP would give any pregnant woman any kind of medication. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I can bring the box and show you. And he actually showed her what they were. So then she did the research and found out that there was this definite link between taking the tablets and the miscarriages, stillbirths and uh, congenital abnormalities. She then sent that quite the, the right thing to do to the Commission on Committee on Human Medicines, who was still the regulator at that time, who basically told her to go away. And she said, no, I'm not going to go away. I'm going to publish this study because I believe fervently and I've had it peer reviewed that this is a real crisis and we need to take those drugs off the market. What they did instead was actually got in touch with the drug company and said to the drug company, whoops, we're just going to have to be a little bit careful here. Uh, We maybe need to stop the indication for pregnancy. Well, the drug company didn't agree with them. Uh, so eventually what happened with Dr Gal was they dismissed her um, study and they ruined her career. She was at that time waiting to take up a scientific position with the World Health Organization and they withdrew it. And the World Health Organization actually said um, we can't actually afford for this 
information to be relayed to GPs or to the public because Dr Gall had mentioned in her study about the oral contraceptive. And she said it was the biggest mistake I ever made and I so wish I hadn't because as soon as they knew that the link was there, it was all systems go to stop it. And I think this is where, unfortunately, this continues today. There's a big, big um, supportive action to make sure that oral contraceptives are available. And I don't disagree with that. I'm concerned with safety. But the problem there was that once uh, this happened, they then, uh, and this is in writing, discreetly withdrew the indication for pregnancy without telling anybody in the medical profession. So GPs were still giving these drugs out without being aware that they'd actually had all these, you know, reports, uh, other studies, uh, scientific concerns, and they merrily went along to continue giving the drugs. And I know someone who took them in 78. So you can just imagine from 67 to 78, it's an utter scandal. Now, the problem was that we desperately tried to get that drug removed from the market and they just wouldn't budge, neither the drug company nor the regulator. The regulator had a very close connection to the drug company. And what he said was, uh, I've actually conducted a study. Unfortunately, it shows a five to one incidence of congenital abnormalities. Five to one. Five to one. However, I have destroyed the names of the women who took part. I'm giving you in this information now so that you can prepare yourself to answer any questions. He didn't tell the GPs. He left that for another five months. And then he gave out um, a, a warning which said uh, that a link has been um, found with... Oral, sorry, <laughs> HPTs and, and adverse effects. So the advice is now do not use them in pregnancy. Fine. And then the tablets continued because nobody took any notice because it was just a yellow card notice. And in 77, they then put out another notice and that was when the, the media became involved, thank God, because it was only through the media, I think it was the Sunday Times, some of the other uh, newspapers that actually said, oh, hang on a minute, there's something wrong here. And they started to look at oral contraceptives, which, of course, the Committee on Safety of Medicines did not want. So they then put the second notice out in 1977. And on that notice, it said, the link has been confirmed. Yep. We're still fighting all these years later. We've had two notices, official notices, and the second one stating quite bluntly the link has been confirmed. So we decided then, well, OK, we're still not getting any joy with finding out, you know, what's happening, exposing this evidence so that women then can be protected in the future, and we decided to take legal action. Again, this was self-funded. Uh, All the way back in 1978. Yeah, we started the action in 80, 80. 1980. By the time we got enough funds, yeah. and also we did get legal aid at that time. So we went to court. Um, in that time, we found out that there was a case in America. 
And the case in America, the poor lad was just so badly affected. He had no hands, he had no tongue, um, he'd, he'd, his feet were missing. And what had happened, they'd actually gone to court with the evidence. And in America, of course, it's entirely different because you're allowed to take the child into court. And as soon as they, 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 they saw the child, they agreed to settle. They settled for £10 million. Now, sadly, the caveat to that was that all that evidence had to be destroyed. They were not allowed to talk about it, to share it. Um, so when our solicitor went over there, he was told basically, forget it. There's nothing you can do. This is America. You will not get the same kind of justice in the UK. And But we still continued. We, we, did, yeah. we went right the way to... Um, presenting our case to Justice Bingham, who was the most fantastic judge. He was very concerned because we had seven experts. Many of ours had been poached by the other side, and they had 31 expert witnesses. So we had to basically take the stance that if we lost, we would lose our houses. You know, they would ask for, for costs and we would lose everything. The advice we were given by the legal aid department was, look, we, we basically can't afford to do this anymore. So we withdrew. Justice Bingham felt that we were impacted quite heavily and he refused to either uh, award damages, which they'd asked for, which I thought was an absolute disgrace. Not only the damage does, but they wanted us to pay for it. Um, and he also refused to close the case. Now, that was very, very unusual. But what he said was he felt that in the future, scientific evidence would be made available and he would like the case to remain open in the event that that happened and we could then reignite the case. So that was really a, a fantastic thing for any judge to do. In the meantime, we then, obviously, I wasn't the chair at that time, and the chair at that time quite rightly said, look, we've gone as far as we can go. We literally either put our houses up um, and, and, and kind of relitigate, or we just need to go away and live our lives. And at that time, I think, because I had two young children then, and the same yeah. with everybody, we all had young children, you were all struggling, you had a mortgage, um, and I think we just thought, well, you know, what can we do now? Is there anywhere else to go? Now, in 2009, um, some documents were found in the home of the lady, funnily enough, who rang me to ask me about uh, whether I'd taken the tablets. And those documents were from uh, Isabel Gal. Now, we didn't know that those documents had ended up where they did, but the person who found them... Um, went to the Legal Aid Board and the Charity Commission, and the Charity Commission said, well, oh, that was it. And it also found out there was £30,000 had been left within the charity, mm -hmm. uh, which we, none of us knew about. So at that time, he tried to get some funding for some things that he needed for himself, but the Charity Commission said the only way that you can have funding is if it starts up again. So he rang me and said, look, you know, we've got some evidence. Would you be willing to support? Which, of course, I was. Um, he then contacted some of the MPs. 
We looked at the evidence, we went to Kew Archives, found evidence there, and quite frankly, the evidence in Kew Archives was astounding. But what was more concerning than that was some of those files were sealed for 20, 30 and 50 years from the Committee on Safety of Medicines. No reason, it just said stopped until 20, whatever, whatever, and the last one, I think, actually, is, is open next year. Mm -hmm. So we were then in a position where we had some evidence. We didn't have a massive amount. And unfortunately, after about 18 months... So that's going to be clear. If it was yeah. sealed for 50 years, uh -huh. that means it was sealed and it's available next year. That means it was sealed in 1974. Yeah. So there's... Your timeline, as it's currently sort of stated, obviously has the first yeah. warnings in 1975. Yes. So there was there is a file, there is evidence that was sealed in 1974 uh -huh. and has been kept sealed for yes. the 50-year period, yes. despite the fact that the impact that's had on ordinary yeah. people's lives. I'm afraid so. And I okay. think that is what is totally disgusting, that not only did they know that the damage had been caused through their failure, but they've actually suppressed it. As I say, 50 years, you just think, God, heaven's above. But of course, they thought we'd all be dead by then. Uh, and unfortunately, we're not looking to turn our toes up anytime soon, hopefully. Um, but what happened then was, um, because he said, look, I'm not doing it anymore, I've finished, it was a case of, well, who's going to take it on? Um, I just retired or we just retired and it was said, well, could you not kind of do it? Um, I had no experience whatsoever and my thoughts were, well, you know what, <laughs> just wing it because other than that we had to give up <laughs> and there was no way I was going to give up. So I did wing it, believe me, for the first 12 months <laughs> I had no idea what the heck I was doing. But eventually things do fall into place because when you find one document, you think, well, you know what, there's more. So we went back to Q archives, but we really, really dug deep then. And we found so much information um, that we thought, you know, this, this is a goal. We need to do something with it. In the meantime, by happens chance again, um, there was a German campaign group. They were not very active. Um, they didn't have a great deal of support and their chair actually uh, contacted me to say, look, I believe that you're now running this campaign. Is there any way that you can help? So I said, absolutely. You tell me what you want because we've got all these documents. Um, I said, and surely you must have a similar kind of, of process for, you know, where, where all these archive documents are. And he said, well, there is an archive. It's Landers Archive. Um, but we've not actually looked. So I just said, right, I will come over to Berlin. Please get access to the files. I will go through them with you. I'll bring what I have and we'll, we'll basically, you know, team up and see what we can do. So we did fly to Berlin. Uh, they went in mob-handed, uh, came back about five hours later and I just said, right, what have you got? Uh, nothing. I said, there's not a single file. There was no golden nugget. I said, for heaven's sakes, you need to look at, go right the way back, find the first bit of information and follow it through. So the solicitor at the time was a very close friend of the curator of the Landers Archive. And I just said, is there any way that you can get me in there? And they did. I will not tell you how, <laughs> <laughs> but I was in. And we found... 7,200 pages of evidence. It was incredible. 
we found documents where the barrister for the drug company said, if you're asking me, will you be found guilty? The answer is yes. If you're asking me, did you do enough? The answer is no, you did not. If you're asking me, should you have removed those tablets from the market? The answer is yes. Now, that's a small part of what was in there. Mm -hmm. So their own, and trust me, they're a huge firm of, of legal uh, eagles, if you like. And that was part of the information we found that they had also conducted studies, which showed quite plainly that they'd caused the damage. But what they did at the end, they would put, uh, there could be confounding factors. It could be the fault of something else. It's not necessarily the drug. So that really fired me up because I knew then I had enough. I had 7,200 pages, I had all the stuff from the, the archives. We had, by that time, got a wonderful MP called Yasmin Qureshi, um, who was very concerned about it. She had constituents, um, and her PA, Sadia Ali, was just an absolute star. And what she said to me was, look, we're going to take this on. So we formed an all-party parliamentary group, uh, which was a long time coming because it meant back and forth to Westminster. We live in Wigan. Uh, so it was the train journey from hell sometimes. Um, but what we actually did, we literally went and, and lobbied individual MPs just to say, please listen, uh, just let us tell you what's happened and see what you think. And we've now got 131 MPs in that all-party parliamentary group. Uh, we've got Sir Ed Davey, uh, we've got um, Theresa May is supporting us, uh, Sir Mike Penning, We've got a lot of Labour Conservative. In fact, every single party is represented, mm -hmm. but it's not enough. It isn't enough. Politically, we're quite strong. However, when it comes to the actual department heads of the Labour Party and the Conservative Party, sadly, they're not stepping up. And that is really a disappointment because we need their strength to make sure that we get the justice that our families deserve. There was a report by Baroness uh, Cumberledge in 2020, which was it was it was an independent it was it was chaired as an independent medicines and medical device safety review. <clears throat> it looked into three three aspects in particular, and one was Primados. I'll read uh, for the listeners uh, a paragraph from the press conference uh, that was written, paragraph 23 from the press conference that the Baroness gave. She read this. In our view, Primados continued to be given as a pregnancy test for years longer than it should. In the face of growing concerns, it should have ceased to have been available from 1967. An non-invasive alternative was available by then, and the concerns that were being expressed should have led to action by the regulator. It continued to be given to women for years longer. While there is disagreement between experts about whether Primados caused birth defect, the fact remains that thousands of women and unborn children were exposed to a risk that was acknowledged at the time that should not have happened this is not a case of us judging the actions of the past by the standards of today this was discussed at the time but not acted upon the system fails that's a direct quote from the press conference that she gave as part of releasing the report it first and foremost that's a long journey from 1978 to 2020 to get that paragraph and, you know, we need to acknowledge that that's a 42-year period that of time is. between 1978 and 2020 to get that paragraph. But it is worth pointing out that that 42 years, obviously, therefore, that one paragraph alone, solely from the press conference, is vindication of everything that you were arguing for that period of time. It is vindication. But do you know the reason that the IMMDS report uh, came about? Because this is really important. Because of the political pressure, we were granted uh, an inquiry 
and that was in 2014, which we were absolutely delighted with. That inquiry then became an expert working group report. The original inquiry that was agreed was going to be independent and it was going to look for the cause, sorry, the possible association between the drug and the damage. That was all agreed. I went to my first meeting with the MHRA and they tried to tell me how it was actually going to be done, that it was going to be an expert working group. It was not going to be an inquiry. It was not going to look at the uh, possible association. It was going to look at the causal association. So within about 10 minutes and after I'd been taken off the ceiling, my response was, you either do it the way that it's been agreed or we don't do it at all. So the concession was, yes, they would look at a possible association. Um, however, the MHRA would be secretariat, but all the experts would be independent. That started in 2015. It took two years till 2017. I, I wouldn't even go into what happened during that two years. It was an utter disgrace. But the ultimate unfortunate conclusion from the expert working group was there is no association causal association between Primados and these adverse events. Now, the sad thing was that they'd called me with the draft report in that October of 2017 uh, to say, we want you to come to the uh, MHRA to speak with the Commissioner of the Commission on Human Medicines because you've been sent the draft report I would like your feedback. And that was the stupidest mistake they ever made. Because I went to that meeting, there were 40 people in that room and me. It was perfectly silent. I was just asked to give my feedback, which I did. Not one person spoke a word afterwards, despite the commissioner saying, are there any questions? And I was then asked to leave the room, which I did. I left the room. And outside, one of the members came and just said, is everything OK? And I just said to her, well, that, that was dreadful because I felt so uncomfortable. Literally, as I'm speaking, someone came out of the, the commissioner's room and said, you need to leave. So the lady just said, she has left. No, she needs to leave the building. So they basically threw me out of the MHRA offices and within, well, I would say about 10, 15 steps along the way, I got a phone call. Uh, can we please have your, uh, your written feedback? And I said, no, you can't. Well, it's just for, you know, purposes of the notes. And I just said, no, you can't have it. I knew what they were going to do. Yeah. And what did they do? They changed it. They withdrew it that day. There was a press conference due the following day after I gave my uh, feedback to them. They cancelled the press conference, cancelled all the accommodation for our members who were going to be there and withdrew the report. And exactly one month later, it was published. Changed hundreds of times to make it, as they said, a stronger message. But the strong message was there is still no... Um, possibility that the drug caused the damage but the the worst thing at the end was where they said and women who take oral contraceptives can be assured that if they inadvertently take them whilst pregnant it will not damage the fetus now that is the most dangerous disgraceful statement to make to women who will read that and think oh i'm okay then i don't you know just it doesn't matter if i take them so 
Well, what happened then was that Theresa May stood up in, in Parliament because obviously we had our MPs who questioned the validity and she stood up and said, I have it on good authority uh, that the report is valid, that all the procedures were followed, they weren't. Um, and it was by sheer, absolute, again, thank goodness, support from the, the MPs who went to Theresa May and said, have you read it? And she said, well, no, because you, you don't. You, you get your, obviously, you have your, your people who actually read and, and give you the advice. And they just said, you know what, read it. And she did. God bless her. She read it from cover to cover and came out and said it didn't even add up. She then asked for the independent medicines and medicine devices uh, report, and that was truly independent. And that's how it happened. You know, so only for her, actually, again, uh, making sure that, because I will give her this, she likes things to be right. And she made sure it was right. But the concern I have now is that even with the um, message, and it's a strong message from uh, Baroness Cumberledge, and it was a government report, for goodness sakes. They're still refusing to accept. And not only that, they have decided now that they were actually, they, they've airbrushed us from that report. So there was a, a big meeting with the Health Select Committee, which I was invited to, to discuss, obviously, the difficulties our members have. And what happened was, a week before, the invitation was withdrawn. Now, the invitation continued for the other two campaign groups they were there there was a report then um, produced and that report makes no mention of primados at all but it also prevented me from telling that committee what was happening with our members three of them have died three of the children have died in the last 12 months we've lost now nearly 40 members since 2014 when the first uh, report was started so all this information, again, just won't get anywhere. So we decided the only way to do anything was to actually take legal action. And this is really where everybody now that's been harmed by any kind of public authority faces a massive, massive risk, simply because... You need to fund it yourself or get people to fund it. You need to get legal representation, again, to fund. Now, we've been exceptionally lucky. Uh, and again, Liverpool have been fantastic for us. We've had the Liverpool John Moser University, who have worked pro bono to help. We've got a Liverpool solicitor, Charles Feeney, without any kind of, of remuneration at all for the last, you know, since 2012. Um We've got the MPs from Liverpool, again, who are supporting us. And we've also got uh, Stephen, uh, Steve Rotherham, who's been superb, the, the Liverpool mayor. But the other thing is, you know, the biggest area that was actually affected was Liverpool. The people, the women in Liverpool were so badly affected that we have got the largest number of affected families in this region. And one of the things I will tell you is about Alderhay Hospital. Now, we know that there's information there. We cannot get it. I have tried in every way. And the reason I want to do it is, you probably know of a, a, a scientist or a doctor called uh, William Smithles. Uh -huh. Now, he was actually uh, one of the consultants at Alder Hay. 
And this is his reaction. And he darn well knew the damage because he was very close to the Committee on Safety of Medicines. And he says, uh, certainly in this part of the world, pregnancy test drugs are prescribed on a fantastic scale and are quite often prescribed during the second trimester of pregnancy. That's a lie. I think there is a widespread feeling amongst the laity that these drugs are abortifacient and I suspect that they are sometimes obtained by GPs by, by giving a misleading history in this area. So he's actually saying that Liverpool women were going to take their drugs deliberately to effect an abortion. And I found that one of the biggest insults. And this is why, as I say, for me, to be able to talk to people uh, in your domain mm -hmm. is just fantastic because people need to realise that, yes, it was in the past, but we've still got babies who are now young people who are still suffering today. It was in the past, but the campaign has put its weight uh, for the Association of Children Damaged by Hormone Pregnancy Tests behind calls for what's termed Hillsborough law, uh, whether it's the pub public advocate uh, aspect or yes. public accountability aspect. I say, yeah. say again, three, ten three tenants to it. First and foremost, the idea of a public advocate. Second, Secondly, the idea of equality of arms, which as you've gone through here over and over again, we can see why that's a live, uh, live and ongoing issue. And then the third thing becomes around the idea of a duty of candour, that people are obliged to make clear what is known uh, in a timely fashion. It seems as though, you know, within all of this, there are, you know, a ton of parallels, the idea of, for instance, some uh, the expert working group is reminiscent of the Lord Stuart Smith inquiry uh -huh. around Hillsborough. Yes. Uh, even the idea of, you know, David Cameron once said the, the idea of a quest for justice was looking for a black cat in a darkened room and Theresa yes. may then changing her mind. David Cameron having eventually to lead the idea of apologising. It seems as though, you know, mm. when I talk to people from these campaigns and hear people who speak mm. from these campaigns in the context of what it is, is Hillsborough laws looking for, to be really, really clear... It seems as though the first thing you are looking for or what have always wanted is the candor. That the other stuff is obviously a live, a live thing. But mm. for me, it feels as though it's the candor that lets everyone learn from the mistakes of the past. And so much of this language terminology, even mm. the first thing I asked you about, the idea of, of, of treating women who are saying things aren't right with, with a level of brutality or seeing yeah. that as an acceptable thing. That yeah. It's the learning, isn't it, that's the, the thing that's missed in so many of these instances. It, it's the consequences as well. And, and you're perfectly right. The duty of candour is the most important part for me uh, because it will help all of our families realise that they don't need to feel guilty. We still feel guilty because we took the tablets. But if that actually then, once and for all, they acknowledge that the damage was caused by the tablets, it could have been preventable because there was no need for them. I think that our families, that will be the biggest relief of all. If anything comes on the back of that, well, that's an add-on, but that's not our, our main... Uh, Effect. I mean, it's the justice part of it. We have just been struck out. Our legal action that we've just... We had four days at the Royal Courts of Justice. Uh, we had barristers, as I say, that weren't being paid. They were being lent, some of them, but you know, by, by another firm. Um, they had four, three barristers and a total of 36 people, uh, solicitors, clerks. Yeah. We literally had two people. That was it. And... The biggest barrier for me, with the, the public accountability bill is just what it says on the tin. It's making a 
accountable the public authorities. And this is where they get away with it time after time. And they get away with it with, you know, the, the factory, with the lab rats, with Hillsborough, um, with all the other campaign groups, because we don't have the finance. There's no one to actually. And this was my biggest hope. If we could get financial support, we would open the door. If Hillsborough Law was in now, public accountability, I really must remember to say that, because it's the public authorities that we're going for. We would have had the funding, because they do have parity of funding. We'd have had the duty of candour, because if they hadn't been honest, there's legal ramifications, and they could have been prosecuted. So these are the big, big wins for that law. The the idea of, you know, you mentioned in there about the equality of arms, mm. it, it you know goes all the way back to 78, when, for instance, it becomes... You know, you've got to get on and live your lives. The, yes. the idea of risking something in the early 80s yeah. around all of this. It seems like, again, with so many of these campaign groups, you, you're left, first and foremost, trying to pick up the pieces and find answers as ordinary <clears> people. And I think that's a key part of this as well, which is missed, which is that there isn't a, a corporate structure around you that supports no. you or anything like that. There is just individuals who eventually come together and have to work out how that works. Mm -hmm. But the equality, the equality of arms aspect, the idea of the being, and again, to be clear, when I spoke to Clive about this uh, from the Haemophilia Society, there was his argument is equality of arms doesn't necessarily mean that, for instance, um, organisations such as yours get substantially more money to spend. It could also mean that the government have to spend significantly less. Yes. I, you know, that, that is limited. That, yes. That's how you bring about a quality yeah. of arms. So it isn't this idea that you're turning up and they've got a, an army no. and you've got two people. Yes. It's that idea, isn't it? That it should yes. be. That's what a quality of arms means. It's not more money. Some more money would help. Yeah. But it's instead this idea that, no, actually, what you can't do is spend unlimited to protect yourselves. And that is a benefit to every single person in the United Kingdom because the government are spending millions of pounds every single time to try and defend these actions instead of, as you say, learning, for goodness sakes, what went wrong. Let's acknowledge what went wrong. Let's change it. You know, don't learn lessons because nothing ever happens. Implement stuff. Actually look at exactly what happened and how you can change it. But you're right, the biggest thing for the, this country for the financial mess that we're in at the moment is to stop the government defending all these actions because the number of people that they had must have cost an utter fortune. And I know that our, um, you know, I mean, the very small legal action that we had in 81, we are now being told that if we don't accept this strikeout, that they will actually put that 10.1 million that they now say is worth today um, basically on our shoulders so it'll be the same again. You either back off or else you will be responsible for that 10.1 million. And our families, we're all in our 70s, for goodness sakes. You know, we've got children still to look after. And I still want to fight. I'll be absolutely honest. I'd go to the wall, and I really would. And our barrister is superb. But I think even he's got his limits at the minute. Uh, but I would fight, and I certainly am not giving up. Absolutely not. If we can't continue with the legal action, then we'll look at another way to do it. But we will continue. And the most important thing for me today is to support 100% the Public Authorities Accountability Bill. The important part of that bill, first and foremost, these are both people's lived realities now, so there should be yeah. some impact around that. But also, and this is the thing that strikes me against being thrown in these campaigns, the main thing everyone says is, I don't want anyone else to have to go through it. Yes. 
and that is such a driving force for people. It is this idea of, and this is, you know, this is action on behalf of ordinary people, by ordinary people who've been put in extraordinary circumstances, trying yes. to future-proof the country for yes. other ordinary people in the future yeah. to come. Uh, thank you very much indeed for Mary coming in and telling us all of that story, uh, going all the way back. Uh, there'll be more and more of these uh, around Hillsborough uh, to come. <laughs>